Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and today's show is brought to you by Raycon Everyday Earbuds. Our smartphones are turning us into dopamine addicts, addiction expert Professor Anna Lemke says. As chief of Stanford University's dual diagnosis addiction clinic, Dr. Anna Lemke has treated patients addicted to everything from heroin to water. Yep, you heard that right. And she refers to the smartphone as the modern-day hypodermic needle. In her new book, Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence, Dr. Anna Lemke examines how we can beat our digital dependencies with its central thesis attempting to find out why, with more abundance than ever, we remain less happy than we were in the past. In my conversation today with Dr. Anna Lemke will talk about her new book, Dopamine Nation, defining dopamine and the interconnection between pleasure and pain and how that connection helps explain addiction. Dopamine is the neurotransmitter, the chemical messenger that's most connected with processing, rewarding pleasurable behavior. The more dopamine a drug or behavior releases, the more addictive it is. Dr. Lemke is a psychiatrist who's the medical director of addiction medicine at Stanford University. Dopamine is the key here and the key to pleasure and pain. This book is about pleasure. It's also about pain. Most important, it's about the relationship between pleasure and pain and how understanding that relationship has become essential for a life well lived. Why? Because we've transformed the world from a place of scarcity to a place of overwhelming abundance. Drugs, food, news, gambling, shopping, gaming, texting, sexting, Facebooking, Instagramming, YouTubing, tweeting. The increased numbers, variety, and potency of highly rewarding stimuli today is staggering. The smartphone is the modern-day hypodermic needle delivering digital dopamine 24-7 for a wired generation. If you haven't met your drug of choice yet, it's coming soon to a website near you. Whether it's sugar or shopping, voyeuring or vaping, social media posts, or the Washington Post, we all engage in behaviors we wish we didn't or to an extent we regret. This book offers practical solutions for how to manage compulsive overconsumption in a world where consumption has become the all-encompassing motive of our lives. In essence, the secret to finding balance is combining the science of desire with the wisdom of recovery. That, of course, is our guest today, Dr. Anna Lemke, reading from her new book, Dopamine Nation, about pleasure and pain. Dr. Lemke will illustrate today how finding contentment and connectedness means keeping dopamine in check. You'll hear about the lived experiences of her patients, which are the gripping fabric of her new book. Their riveting stories of suffering and redemption give us all hope for managing our consumption and transforming our lives. My conversation with Dr. Lemke shows that the secret to finding balance is combining the science of desire with the wisdom of recovery. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, Dr. Anna Lemke. Dr. Anna Lemke, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Good. good. And I'm excited to talk to you. Thank you for 
being generous with your time for our questions today and being generous with the reading from your new book entitled Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. And you refer to the book being about pleasure and pain, and we're going to get into that. With regard to the pain side of it, there is an awful lot of research today, very current research, which which seems to indicate that people are more in pain. They're less happy than they were two decades ago, particularly among people with means and wealth and abundance. So what is going on with us? It seems like the poorer countries from this same research appear to be happier. So help us make some yes. sense of this today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is really a paradox, right? Um, you know, the, the World Happiness Report survey shows that people were happier in 2008 than they are than they were in 2018. Um, and the most unhappy people tend to be people living in rich nations. If you look at rates of depression and anxiety worldwide, they're going up and they're highest again in rich nations. It's not just psychological suffering um, that has increased or happiness that has decreased. It's also physical pain. So, uh, for example, in the United States, there are more people uh, struggling with all kinds of chronic pain than two or three decades ago, including otherwise healthy young people for whom no discernible disease or injury can be identified. Um, And, you know, corresponding with that, we've seen increasing rates of um, prescription opioid use for the treatment of pain um, over that same time period, despite no, um, no evidence of an increased need for analgesia um, in terms of disease and morbidity, um, and, you know, obvious, uh, um, explanations for pain. So we've got really a, a puzzle here, right? Where, um, you know, we've sort of managed to eradicate or greatly limit, um, a whole host of diseases that used to kill us. Um, and we're, you know, getting older and living longer than we ever did before, um, which might in part explain some of the increases in in physical pain, although it doesn't explain the increase among young people. And yet at the same time, um, we're a lot less happy. Yeah, it it is just this fascinating paradox. I wonder, you know, we're all coming off of of COVID. Certainly it's it's still with us. My my hope is that you and your family are all doing very well. But we think about um, this notion of of prescription RXs increasing and the the chronic nature of of some of these conditions, did COVID create more addiction or, or perhaps more addictive behavior? Yeah, so this is really an uh, you know an interesting impact of COVID because it's not clear. There's not a consistent response across all populations and demographic groups. It's certainly, um, we do know that drug overdoses, which have already quadrupled in the past two decades, and we're starting to go down for the first time in 2018, arose again um, during quarantine. And the reasons for that are, you know, complex and multifactorial having to do with uh, the fact that um, people um, probably had decreased access to addiction treatment and uh, due to interruption of the drug supply, um, while at the same time the drug supply, you know, especially things like illicit fentanyl remained highly abundant but sort of less reliable. So people who were already addicted were not able to get access to their um, sort of regular supply. But um, drug overdoses 
aside, um, I feel like there's sort of a um, two populations. Um, there's a, a group of individuals for whom uh, COVID and quarantine was really an opportunity to, to reset and improve their wellness and tackle things like addiction and take on uh, the longstanding problems related to addiction or just, you know, overconsumption generally. And at the same time, there's a group of individuals who probably, um, you know, progressed and got worse in that regard, more screen time, more sitting around, less structure, um, you know, people working at home with immediate access to their refrigerator, um, you know, starting to drink earlier, starting to drink more. So it's been an interesting phenomenon where um, some individuals have certainly slipped into risky substance use, a risky screen use and even addictive use of, of substances and behaviors, whereas others, again, have have sort of um, found it beneficial to have more time to focus on wellness and have gotten better. And I've seen both of those in my practice in the last two years. The book, uh, Dopamine Nation, is really excellent. Thank you again for sharing it with me. The One of the central points is this notion that you bring up about unhappiness and addiction being the natural biological responses to overabundance. So maybe you could describe for us the science and neuroscience of addiction and, and what you've learned about how the brain works to um, accommodate a, a highly rewarding, highly pleasurable and, and addictive uh, behavior. Yeah. So, you know, we started out talking about this uh, sort of mysterious paradox where we have so much abundance and yet we seem to be all getting more, you know, more and more unhappy. Um, and my, my hypothesis for that is that um, we're actually um, overstimulating our reward pathway, I mean, which is the part of our brain that's you know been conserved and evolved over millions of years to help us adapt in a world of scarcity and ever-present danger, but is mismatched for this world of overabundance. Um, and and because of you know the ubiquitous nature of um, these highly potent rewards, whether it's in the form of a substance, drugs and alcohol, or behaviors, um, you know shopping, gaming, um, sex, um, essentially what we've done is we've bombarded our reward pathway in our brain with too much dopamine, and dopamine is our brain's reward um, um, neurotransmitter, and. What the brain does in response to a sudden increase in dopamine is to essentially downregulate our own dopamine receptors and our own dopamine production. And it doesn't just do that to the point of going back down to tonic baseline dopamine. It actually goes below tonic baseline. So um, the response to pleasure is, in essence, pain. We go into a dopamine deficit state. And it takes a while before the brain sort of recalibrates and comes out of that and returns back to baseline dopamine firing. So my theory is that both on an individual and on a national level, um, even many nations level. Um, the reason that we have more depression, more anxiety, and more physical is pain, uh, physical pain is because we're ingesting too much. We're doing too many uh, high dopamine reward behaviors and ingesting too many high dopamine reward substances. And um, our brain is naturally trying to recalibrate by putting us into a dopamine deficit state. Stay tuned for more with Dr. Anna Lemke. 
Hey, it's Paul. You know, there's just so much going on in the world, but I am super excited about traveling again, about being outside, about enjoying the community around me. You can't always control the vibes out there, but you can always control the vibes in your head, especially with a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds in your ears. And the new everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With an improved rubber oil look and feel super comfortable in my ears and optimized gel tips for the perfect in-air fit, these are impressive even before you start listening. You get three new sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds the best with just the right amount of bass. There's the pure mode, the balanced mode, and the bass mode. Personally, I love music, as you know from the radio show that we do, so I use the balanced mode, but you can test out each and pick what's precisely right for you. There's also an all-new awareness mode for when you need to listen to something around you. Raycons offer eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. There's also a built-in mic, and you can take calls on your earbuds at the press of a button. Raycons start at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. Trust me on this. And Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee. So right now, our Not Old Better Show listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash notoldbetter. All this is going to be in our show notes, but that's buyraycon.com slash notoldbetter to save 15% on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash notoldbetter. Thanks, everybody. We are with Dr. Anna Lemke. Dr. Lemke is the medical director of the Stanford Addiction Medicine Program. Dr. Lemke is with us today talking about her new book, Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. So in the title, there's reference to the, the word balance and you refer to this, this process of the, of the brain and its, its balance and this tilt perhaps that occurs. So maybe describe that, that balance a little bit more deeply for us. What, what is that all about? Yeah. Yeah. So in the book, I use, you know, an extended metaphor of the balance to describe what's happening in, in the brain. And one of the most interesting findings um, in neuroscience in the last 75 years or so is that pleasure and pain are co-located. And by that, I mean that the same parts of the brain that process pleasure also process pain. And they work like opposite sides of a balance. So when we do something rewarding or pleasurable, we get a little release of dopamine in the brain's reward pathway. And that pleasure pain balance tilts slightly, slightly to the side of pleasure. Things that are addictive tend to tilt that pleasure pain balance further to the side of pleasure and faster to the side of pleasure. But one of the overarching rules governing that pleasure pain balance is that it wants to remain level. It doesn't want to be tipped very long to the side of pleasure or pain. Um, and it will work really hard to re-regulate, to bring the balance level again. A level balance is what neuroscientists call homeostasis. And it will do this by tipping the balance an equal and opposite amount to the side of pain before letting the balance go back to the level position. And I, I like to imagine this as these little gremlins hopping on the pain side of the balance to bring it level again. And those gremlins re represent neuroadaptation, right? They re represent our own endogenous down regulation of dopamine production and uh, dopamine receptors. 
Now, the gremlins um, like it on the balance, so they don't get off right when it's level. Again, they stay until it's tipped an equal and opposite amount to the side of pain, and that's the come down. Um, that's that hangover or the after effect, or even a more subtle wanting that good movie not to end or wanting to watch one one more YouTube video or feeling like, oh, gee, I just checked my phone, but maybe I should check it again. Um, you know, that that's essentially withdrawal. And the universal symptoms of withdrawal from any addictive substance are anxiety, irritability, insomnia, dysphoria, and mental preoccupation with our drug, sometimes referred to as craving. Now, if we wait long enough, the gremlins will hop off and a level balance or homeostasis will be restored. But if we continue to ingest these highly rewarding substances and behaviors again and again over hours to days to weeks to months to years, we essentially reset our hedonic set point or our joy set point to the side of pain. Those gremlins sort of camp out semi-permanently on the pain side. And now nothing is pleasurable except for our drug of choice, which in fact isn't even pleasurable anymore because we've built up tolerance to it. We need to keep using it not to feel good, but just to stop being in pain and feel normal. And this is in essence what happens in the brain as it becomes addicted. And in that way, our biology is manipulated. Our our culture is manipulated by by these things too. You you, you refer to the wire generation and sugar and shopping and vaping and the social media site of of choice. So, can't we just avoid this? Is isn't willpower uh, alone enough? Mm, yeah, great question. I I wish willpower alone were enough, but but our uh, you know, the, these, these highly rewarding substances and behaviors are so ubiquitous, so accessible, so potent, and so novel um, that it becomes really nearly impossible for us to withstand temptation unless we're intentionally thinking about it. And of course, the whole point of Dopamine Nation is that we can do something about this problem, but we have to really first appreciate that it is a problem and that it could be that the main reason that we're unhappy in our lives is not because we have some kind of, you know, pre-existing trauma or uh, the wrong spouse or the wrong job or some kind of underlying chemical imbalance related to, you know, some um, inherited depressive disorder. But really, we're, we're unhappy because we're just bombarding our reward pathways with too much dopamine. Um, and that's where I talk about, you know, uh, self-binding strategies, ways to create barriers between ourselves and our drug of choice and really limit dopamine so that we can restore homeostasis and have access to more modest pleasures and rewards. I've even heard people say, I I'm addicted to my cell phone. And it this seems like current technology, whether it's the phone or apps, they make this pleasure opportunity very attractive. What is it about that technology and about those those opportunities that just lead to this pain and pleasure circumstance? Well, first of all, the screens in and of themselves are highly reinforcing. Um, my, my colleague, Aza Raskin, talked about how they were, um, they had built, you know, this AI problem solving machine and they were trying to see what would interfere with its ability to solve these, you know, complex problems. And they tried all these different distractors and none of them really worked. But then they put a TV in the room and just put it on static mode and like the AI just went 
nuts and couldn't solve the problems anymore. <laughs> so there's something really deeply distracting and also incredibly compelling about a screen. I've heard people theorize that it's sort of like the uh, the prehistoric, you know, fire gathering around the fire that we just kind of go toward that light um, and that kind of changing dynamic image. Of course, sadly, you know, the prehistoric fire, we were at least gathering around the same fire together. Now we're all gathering around our individual fires in our individual rooms on our individual screens. And so it's become a, you know, sort of a source of isolation rather than a source of community. Um, although there are ways, obviously, to find community online as well, good ways. Um, it's, not, it's not all bad. Uh, the, the other the other thing too is you know when 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 you think about what makes something addictive it's essentially you know four components it's it's easy access which let's face it that that access is now um, just incredibly easy you know the tap of a finger or the swipe of a screen and um, we have access to an infinite variety of flashing lights and beautiful faces and you know novel information um, it's also potency. So, um, you know, when you think about, for example, making human connections, you know, to like, you know, let's, let's say a hundred years ago or even less than that, you know, if you wanted to make a friend, you had to go out of your house and you had to find some people and probably the average people is the average person is sort of average looking and sort of average interesting. Um, now, you know, you can go online and you can find an infinite number of people saying an infinite variety of things, each one potentially more beautiful than the other. And if if what they're saying kind of starts to bore you, you just, you know, swipe it away and go find the next one. And this is really addictive because it just contributes to that problem of potency where ultimately, you know, we need more and more gremlins on the pain side of the balance in order to compensate. And then you know, that's that escalating, then you need escalating potency, just like someone who gets addicted to opioids might start out using, you know, prescription Vicodin and end up shooting heroin because over time the prescription Vicodin, you know, stops working and then they need more and more to get the same effect. And the same thing is happening, you know, with these digital products, except that they're literally infinite. And, and the other thing too, which is a huge trigger for dopamine is novelty, right? So just taking the thing that we like and slightly changing it. Um, and of course the internet is just, um, genius at doing this. The algorithms, the AI, AI algorithms, you know, made by the companies like, like Facebook, um, you know, track us, know what we like, and then suggest to us sort of something else we might like. Um, and of course, just the novelty of that, um, of that, you know, new, slightly modified version of the thing we liked before can temporarily over, overcome tolerance and be very engaging. It's also really important to realize that the, the suggestion of something itself releases dopamine. So for example, when we get an alert or a reminder or an ad of something that we think might lead to something pleasing, we get a little spike of dopamine just from that. But following that little mini spike of dopamine, you know, at the trigger or the reminder or the condition cue, um, dopamine doesn't go back down to baseline levels. It goes below baseline levels. And that's where we feel the craving. So just from the suggestion we, we go through that loop of the balance tipping to the side of pleasure then tipping to the side of pain. And craving is essentially about motivation, right? Once we feel craving, then we want to act on it. We want to go, you know, oh, go check out that site and, and click on that link. And it's almost, 
like we can't like there's like a biological imperative um, you know, to go check it out. So there's a lot that's built into these digital products that makes them, you know, innately reinforcing. And essentially what they do is exploit our, you know, millions of years old evolutionary neural machinery that has us approaching pleasure and avoiding, avoiding pain, something that was highly adaptive again, in a, in a world of scarcity and ever-present danger, but which is potentially highly maladaptive in the world that we've created. Dr. Lemke, many in our audience are, are older uh, adults over the age of 55. I wonder if there's a difference between how the brain reacts in the case of an older adult versus a young person. Is there, a, is there an age kind of difference there with the brain? Well, certainly as we age, we lose some of our plasticity. That is our ability for neurons to change and adapt and and be resilient. But the good news is that we continue to generate new neurons throughout the lifespan, something that neuroscience discovered really only in the last 50 to 100 years. We had thought that by the time you got to age 25, you had all the neurons you were ever going to have. It turns out that's not true. We continue to generate new neurons throughout the lifespan. And there are certain things that we can do uh, to optimize, um, you know, neurogenesis, one of them being things like exercise, but another one is learning things like that. Um, you know, in terms of the response to these digital products and the risk of compulsive overconsumption and addiction, unfortunately, older people, despite, um, having less plasticity are not immune to this problem. And I'm hearing more and more about, you know, older people, especially those who are isolated, um, spending, you know, more time on their screens. And, and, and the, the hard thing about this is that, you know, it, it can feel initially like we're connecting through these screens and there can be some very meaningful connections that occur, but in a way it can also be counterfeit connections and can lead to more isolation, um, you know, which is, which is obviously not good. When you talk about pleasure and pain, I read that you you have found that many of your patients feel liberated when they're told that they don't have to be um, uh, happy all the time. That that pleasure just might not might not be the goal necessarily. Why is that? Well, part of you know the big problem here, in in addition to the simple biological imperative wrought by this pleasure pain balance and the way dopamine works in the brain, is cultural messages. Uh, that have been disseminated for at least the last 50 years, telling people that if they're not happy, then they must be sick, um, that something is you know, wrong with them if they're not sort of in ecstasy 24-7. And unfortunately, you know, life just isn't about happiness all the time. And in fact, striving for pleasure in and of itself, um, as I've described, can make people really unhappy. One of the things I say in my book is that hedonism or pleasure-seeking for its own sake, can lead to anhedonia, which is the total lack of pleasure in anything that we do. Um, So for some of my patients who come in who have struggled lifelong with depression, sometimes just validating that, you know, maybe that's just sort of their baseline temperament and maybe that's okay is just for some individuals a huge relief. Like they no longer have to feel like, okay, well, there's something wrong with me or I'm defective or I'm alone because I'm not, you know, super happy. And when they realize that other people are struggling, many other people in similar ways, 
that that can be really comforting. And also, you know, the, the whole wellness movement and self-improvement movement is good, you know, and healthy and, and has helped a lot of people. But I do see patients, you know, who sort of become obsessively fixated on trying to improve themselves instead of just radically accepting their lives and who they are and kind of carrying on and making the best of it. I think a lot of this has been exacerbated by some forms of social media. You know, when you think about sort of historically, I'm talking about, you know, starting, let's say, before social media existed. So in the last century, you know, we've, people always compare themselves to other people. And, you know, it was, it's one thing to compare yourself to your siblings and your, you know, your classmates and your coworkers and your neighbors. But now people are comparing themselves to the whole world, right? The whole social media universe. And it's, you know, millions of people, many of whom curate these false selves online. So you're not even really seeing people's real lives. You're seeing this, um, sort of illusory, positive image of themselves and their lives. And the result is that many people who engage on social media can feel very much less than after doing that, feel very bad about themselves and their lives and wonder, what am I doing wrong? Why, why am I not as successful as that person? Why am I not as happy? So, you know, popping the bubble uh, of some of those um, false messages from social media is, is also important. Dr. Lemke, final question for you. I I thought it was just fascinating that that abstinence can reset this idea of homeostasis, the the, the balance of the brain, getting the gremlins to kind of even out across the teeter-totter. And in the back of the book, you refer to some balance lessons. I thought those were great. Maybe tell us a little bit about those. Maybe a couple of them, pick pick your, your two or three. And what our audience should learn about coping strategies to create this balance. Yeah, well, I mean, the the, you know, the lessons of the balance are essentially lessons I've learned from my patients and people in recovery from addiction and 25 years of practicing psychiatry. You know, 20 years ago when patients came in with depression and anxiety, the first thing I did was prescribe a pill. Now the first thing I do is actually paradoxically to ask them to eliminate all pleasurable stimuli um, from their lives for one month. And in doing that together, really we're conducting an experiment to see if by eliminating these supercharged dopamine products and behaviors, they can reset uh, their own balance through the science of hormesis. And hormesis comes from the Greek to set in motion. And basically what we're doing there is by eliminating dopamine for one month, we allow time for those neuroadaptation gremlins to hop off the pain side of the balance and for our own endogenous or innate production of dopamine to um, upregulate so that we can restore a level balance and, and achieve homeostasis. So that's, that's one of the, the lessons of the balance is that, you know, if you're feeling bad, you might paradoxically think about stopping the thing that you're doing um, or consuming that gives you relief in the moment, but that may actually be contributing to feelings of depression, anxiety, and despair. The other paradoxical thing that I recommend is that people intentionally engage in things that are hard. So just like pressing too hard on the pleasure side of the balance leads to the after effect of pain, it turns out that pressing slightly on the pain side of the balance can lead to the after effect of pleasure. So that can be things like ice cold water baths or exercise or um, a 
difficult cognitive task or a creative endeavor, or even things like going a whole day telling the truth. It turns out human beings are natural liars, um, all of us in small ways, um, and that telling the truth is hard. But if you try to go through the whole day telling the truth, um, it's super challenging, but um, also, you know, is a hard thing that might even shift your balance um, more to the side of pleasure and help create intimacy with others in ways that I explain in the book. And of course, true intimacy is a great and adaptive source of healthy dopamine. So, so the book sort of tries to, you know, uh, present a bunch of these paradoxes and invite people to do experiments that seem counterintuitive, but that are consistent with the way, um, you know, with the, with neuroscience that as we, as we understand it. Anna Lemke's been our guest today. Anna Lemke is author of the new book, Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. The book is, is excellent. It is an instant New York Times and Los Angeles Times bestseller. Critics, uh, for example, Beth Macy, author of the book Dope Six, have said that it is brilliant, riveting, scary, cogent, and cleverly argued. Uh, thank you so much for your time today, for your uh, willingness to read to us and talk to us about this. I, I like the example that you use about the gremlins. The book is, again, fascinating. I just want to recommend it highly to our audience. But thank you for your time, Dr. Lemke. And we'd love to have you back as you learn more about this. I think our audience is going to be intrigued by this subject. I think we all need, we need to know this. But uh, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, you're, my, my, you're welcome and my pleasure. Thanks for having me. My thanks to Dr. Anna Lemke, author of the new book, Dopamine Nation for a generous time and preparation today. Of course, my thanks to Raycon Everyday Earbuds for sponsoring today's episode. Please check out our website for more information about Raycon Everyday Earbuds for a wonderful in-ear audio experience, just like the Not Old Better Show. <laughs> my thanks to you, of course, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Please be safe. Get your flu shots, get your boosters, and recommend others do the same. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.